Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. For more information, please call 234-803-481-0869 or for free audio downloads, kindly visit www.davidogaga.org. We want to continue from where we stopped last week. We are still dealing with the issue of the three major role of the Holy Spirit. Three specific role of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is part four. And our test is John 16. Uh, so we just look at John 16 from verse number 8. Again, which is our test. And it says, When he is come, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the wall of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So these are the three major, major specific work that the Holy Spirit is to do after the departure of Jesus. And we try to explain before now what the world means. And... Uh, we made us to understand the world has to do with, first of all, the Jewish nation and then the Gentile nation in terms of convincing the world of sin. And I tried to establish the fact that Jesus was the sin, I mean, the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. So, when we start talking about righteousness, I also try to make you understand that the Holy Spirit will convince the world of the innocency of Jesus Christ. That's the primary word when it talks about righteousness. In other words, the Holy Spirit will convince the world that Jesus was wrongfully crucified. He was innocent, he was righteous, he's a holy man, and all of the allegations, all of the accusations have no basis. So this is what the Holy Spirit begins to do to establish the fact that this man is actually innocent. Amen? Alright. So that's what we're dealing with and we're, we still want to continue with that today. So like I said, the whole world um, heard of him and now believe uh, the righteousness and innocence of Jesus that he was unjustly persecuted and crucified and the Jews, his persecutors, are confounded and being criticized as murderers throughout the habitable globe. Now you find that somewhere, last year I remember, uh, it looks funny, but here was a lawyer in Kenya who went to, I think it's the ICC or one of those places, and lodged uh, a complaint. Was the ICC or even right there in Kenya? And he said he was going to sue the Jewish people that Jesus was crucified innocently. You know, so you find that the whole world is actually getting into conviction 
the this man was actually innocent. So he found that he was wrongly crucified and there was nobody to stand for him. So he's taking up the case to defend Jesus. <laughs> and he went to court. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I love the guy. He really has to, he wants to exercise his, his law, his genuity in the law system. So it's not bad. So this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's establishing the facts. No, so we still want to go through some scriptures. I remember, we also did say that uh, you find people like Apollos, people like Paul, were trying to tell the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Is that okay? Yeah, he was the Messiah, not just uh, the anointing. I explained that he was the anointed one that they were expecting and they were waiting for. Amen? So again, I want to use some scriptures again today to back up the fact that uh, Jesus himself made some statement that established the fact Again, that he is actually innocent, he's a righteous man. And so, let's look at John 3, verse 13 to 14, and then 15. John chapter 3, uh, verse 13 says, And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And verse 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now this is another major fact that proves that Jesus is innocent. How is this so? Remember what we're dealing with? John 16 verse 10. It says, Because I go to my father and you see me no more. That the Holy Spirit will establish this father of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Now this is what I want you to get uh, together. You just go to John 16. Let me show you what I'm saying. Verse 10. John 16 verse 10. And he said, Of righteousness, because I go to my father, and you see me no more. Now you see, he's tying the righteousness together with his going to his father. Is that alright? And then in John 3, that we have just read, 13 to 15, he talks about his ascension. Now the point is this. Jesus is trying to say this one thing. God will not raise a criminal. In other words, if he was a criminal, he would not be raised by God. Did you get the point now? <laughs> Are you seeing there? He said, in, in John 16, 10, he said, I go to my father. And in John 3, 13 to 15, he said, no man has ascended. Is that okay? Remember, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. So what this scripture is telling us is this. If he was a criminal, God will not receive him. God will not raise the criminal from the grave. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Okay. So here the world is telling us that the ascension of Jesus has to prove that Jesus was innocent and righteous because God will not raise an imposter from the dead. Thus, I mean, this then also satisfied the demand of the Jews and the gentle world of the truth of the claim he had of himself of a spotless lamb of God. So what he's saying here is this. I'm going to the Father. After I've gone to the Father, the Holy Spirit is going to make you see this fact that I'm innocent. In other words, I'm a righteous man. And like I said in John 3, no man has ascended. By implication, I'm going to ascend. Right? Okay? And again, Scripture made us understand he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So now, the issue is this. If he was a criminal, God would not raise him. If he was a criminal, God would not make him to sit down. 
Is that okay? So the Holy Spirit is proving to all of us that because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, he was an innocent man. Is that okay? This is what John 3, 16, 10 is not saying. So when he said the Holy Spirit will prove to the world of righteousness, it's not just your righteousness, it's his righteousness primarily that he was a righteous man, he was a holy man, he was an innocent man, or unjustly crucified. So the Holy Spirit is going to prove this to the whole world. Is that alright? Okay. Hallelujah. So we are saying that the resurrection of Christ by the Father and setting him at his right hand is a further proof of what? The setting of the seal of the approval of God on him, which God will not do to a criminal, as the Jews have always said, or said, and then want to claim that he was a criminal. Is that alright? Good. Again, we find that the resurrection showed that God approved this work on behalf of humanity, demonstrating that it was sent by who? By God. Let's look at a few scriptures on that. John 14, let's look at verse 24. John 14, verse 24. He that loveth me, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sins, and the word which you have heard is not mine, but the Father which did what? Sent me. Amen? Good. So, one thing is important. The resurrection proved again to us that God truly sent him. That is why he also raised him. Is that okay? Good. So, God sent him. God raised him. Go to um, John 15. Let's look at verse 20. And then 21. John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Verse 15, I mean 21. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Who sent him? God. Is that all right? Now, he is saying they will persecute the believers, they will persecute the apostles because they persecuted him simply because they did not know him that did what? That sent him. He's trying to establish the fact again that he was sent by God. Is that alright? Okay. Go to John 6 verse 27. John 6 verse 27. It says, Live on for the meat which perisheth, but for that Meet which endureth unto everlasting life, which the sort of man shall give unto you, for him hath the Father sealed. Now, that word seal means an approver. Is that okay? God has approved him. He is the one that has the approval of God. Uh, the Greek word there actually is um, spragizo, which means to stamp with a signet or private mark for security or preservation. By implication to keep secret, to attest and seal, right? To attest, to put approval on something. Uh, so when you seal something with your signature, or uh, it's like a signature, you write your signature. You know, maybe you write a letter and then you put a signature on it. You are trying to say, well, uh, this, all of the content belongs to me. Is that all right? Good. So, Jesus got the seal of God. In all of this thing is still to prove that he was truly innocent, 
He was not a criminal. He was sent by God. And so he was able to go back to the Father. Don't forget what we're dealing with. John 16.10. Is that okay? Holy Spirit will convince the world of what? Righteousness. That's what we're dealing with. The righteousness actually stands for the innocency of Christ, the simplicity of who he is, the holiness that he carries, and all of those things. So all the accusation that men were having that he was a criminal is not true. Hallelujah. Okay. So again we'll find that Jesus, I mean Peter said something on the day of Pentecost. Let's look at that again. Still looking at the resurrection power to prove the fact that Jesus is innocent and then um, he was sent by God. So Acts chapter 2 verse 22. I want to be sure I, I try to finish with this tonight because I have to get on to the issue of judging the world. Acts 2 22. Peter speaking, say, Ye men of Israel, hear this words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved. And that's the point. Are you getting that? A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as he yourself also know. Verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, he have taken and by wicked hands have you crucified and slain. Now I need to also get something there across. He wasn't just crucified. He was crucified by the determinate counsel of God. So God allowed him to be crucified. Is that alright? Okay. Verse 24. Whom God had done what? Raised up. Having lost the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding off it. Whom God have done what? Raised up. That's the point. Again, we are establishing to the fact that it was because he was innocent, it was because God sent him, it was because God has given an approval to the fact that he sent him, that is why he could raise him. The resurrection is the proof that Jesus was and is innocent. By implication, is righteous. You following that? Verse Corinthians 15. Look at verse 14. First Corinthians 15 verse 14. And if Christ be not raised, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also what? Vain. So he rose. We believe that he rose. Is that alright? First Timothy 3 verse 16. First Timothy 3 verse 16. First Timothy, not Thessalonians. Timothy. You don't have Timothy? Oh, so what was the problem? Alright. Our our controversy, grace is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Now, without controversy, in other words, no debate, no argument, no doubt in these facts. God was manifested. In other words, God became a man. Is that okay? Alright. Justified in the spirit. Part of what we're talking about now. Are you seeing that? Okay. Seen of angels, preach unto the Gentiles, believe on in the world, 
received up into what? Into glory. Holy Spirit is proving all of this fact that Jesus is actually God manifested in the flesh. He had the seal of God. He was raised up by the power of the Almighty Father. Amen? Okay. So the fact of the holiness and righteousness of the Christ is now evidence to all men over the land to the conviction of the hearts of everyone. That Christ is a righteous man. May have to see the level of unworthiness and so desire to become like him in a righteous living as more of his life flows into us from the presence of the Father that he now becomes our life. What we're saying is this. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. Are you getting that? Okay. Received up into glory, preached among all nations, and believed up in the world. So what are we saying here? We're saying right now, Christ is, as it were, in the spirit form. And again, he's not just sitting somewhere. That man that is sitting, if you want to be sitting somewhere, is also sitting in you. Is that okay? It's no longer limited as one man. Okay. Go to Colossians 3 verse 4. Colossians 3 verse 4. Now, this is where the Holy Spirit, help me now, is going to have to work to convince you. It's not only convincing you that he rose from the grave. It's not only convincing you that a righteous man is bringing the conviction to the fact that this man is also living in you. And because he's righteous and he's living in you, therefore you are also what? Righteous. You see what I'm saying now? Good. So, Colossians 3 verse 4. Look at that. When Christ, who is what? Our life. That's the point. Christ is our life. And Christ is what? Righteous. Therefore you are righteous. Now you have to allow the Holy Spirit to bring this conviction to your heart. And that's going to take us to a lot of things we're going to be dealing with now. Hallelujah. So, Christ alive shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory. Now, this is not talking about when it's going to float down from the sky, like we have always been made to believe. When we say when he shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory, he's not talking about when what we call a second coming. He's not talking about that. This appearing has to do with what you found in Matthew 17, if you look at verse 1 to 5 or thereabout. You see, when he was transfigured, on the mountain before Peter, James, and John. You know the story? Hey, are you with me? And the Bible says his face was glittering, even the dress was putting on was glittering. Is that okay? Good. That's what we're talking about. His appearing is him flowing out of you. Is him moving out of you. And your body receives a glow. Now, if you look at this, look at this bulb up there. There is something more or less like who can let me just use what the filament inside. Is that okay? You have the casing, but you have the filament inside. Are you getting that? Now you see the light coming out of that. You can readily touch the light, but there's a casing around the filament that is giving out the light. Are you getting that? Now if you switch off the switch now, the light goes off, you're still gonna see it. Now the body that cover the filament is your body. So when we talk about Christ blowing out, it's the same thing, this radiation of the life on the inside, calling out, and of course, your body takes up a new dimension. Is that alright? 
That's what it means when he shall appear. Then shall we appear with him in what? In glory. Not when he's flying from the sky and they will go up to meet him or something like that. That's not what he's talking about. Praise the Lord. Okay, let me run a little bit far because there are some issues I really want to touch tonight. Go to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 13. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 13. But of him I hear in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, what? Wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Is made unto us. We're going to make some progress tonight and there are some things I'm going to say. I pray God will enable you to catch them. It's made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Okay, now, you go to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For he had made him to be Sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in who? In Christ. So let's get this point right. The Holy Spirit will convince the world of what? Righteousness. Because I go to my Father. It's convincing humanity. This time it's convincing you of the fact that you are what? Righteous. But there is something I want you to note in this verse. For he had made him to be sin for us. He made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. Now I want you to notice that. The word sin is used twice in this passage. And it's a word. And there is something I'm, I'm going to bring out tonight that I want you to catch. There is a common saying or belief. Now, how many of you have heard people say, Our sins were laid on Jesus. Right? <laughs> but I'm going to read some scriptures for you to understand that. That belief is not true. The Bible says he knew no sin. So if he didn't know sin, then no sin was laid on him. Is it to know is to experience? Adam knew Eve. Are you getting this? So we come to me and say, Mighty seven now. In the name we cast out devils. How I many of you have read that before? And you say, Go away from me, you workers of iniquity, for I knew you not. No relationship. No contact, no intimacy, no connection, and knew you not. Now scripture said Jesus knew no sin. Now this is very, I know this is very, it sounds controversial. <laughs> but this is a fact of scripture. I'm going to tell you what was laid on Jesus, not your sins. Hmm. You know, sometimes it's good we, we sit down and study the word and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. The good problem we have is we interpolate, we interject some of our knowledge into the word. 
Is that because we heard it from somebody that is big on TV and we think it's true, but it's not. You go back to the scripture and then the Holy Spirit begins to help you again to understand. Are you still following this? Look at that. It was made to be seen for us. Hmm? Who knew no sin? If he does no sin, that means there was no sin in him. Am I correct? I mean, that's what the Bible is saying here. Okay. In other words, when he said, who knew no sin, it simply means he was innocent. You see, we're dealing with the righteousness of the Christ. We're dealing with the spirit will convince the world of righteousness because I go to my father. Are you getting me? And we're dealing with his innocences. So here the Bible says he knew no sin. That means he was innocent. Is he saying the same thing? <laughs> Is that okay? All right. Now, there's a big difference between the world, as we commonly have heard, a sin offering and he being an offering for sin. Two different things. A sin offering and then offering for sin. They are two different things. He was a sin offering, but not an offering for sin. This is going to be hard for you, but you will catch it. This is why the Holy Spirit wants to keep teaching you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. So when he talks about what made a sin for us, or a sin offering for us, the word is amatia. And it calls here twice. The first place it means sin. That is transgression and guilt. And of Christ, it is said he knew no sin. That is, he was innocent. For he knew no sin is the same as to be conscious of innocence. He knew no sin. His consciousness was not sin conscious. I want you to catch this. Now, this is why it's important to you don't understand what I'm dealing with tonight. That you must come to the place where you have to be free in your conscience of sin consciousness. He knew no sin. He had no relationship with sin. No contact with sin. He wasn't carrying a consciousness of sin. He knew no sin. That's how powerful that word is. Hallelujah. So what we're talking about, it was not conscious of anything in terms of what we call sin. To be conscious of nothing against oneself. Amatia. Right? To be conscious of nothing against oneself is the same thing as not being unimpeachable. In other words, you can lay anything against him. He was innocent. He was free. He was holy. He never had the same consciousness. The spirit will prove that I'm righteous. In other words, I carried no guilt. I carried no sin consciousness. Now we are becoming as he is. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Therefore, we must come to the place by the power of the Holy Spirit where we also live without a consciousness of what? Of sin. Are you catching this? 
Hallelujah. So, in the second place, this word actually speaks of a sin offering or sacrifice for sin. An answers to uh, a kind of Hebrew word, hajek chata. And target chapter of the Hebrew text, which actually speaks of both sin and sin offering in a great variety of places in, in, in the scriptures, you know. Now, if you go to Leviticus numbers, time is more there to look into all of that. You only talk about sin offering, sin offering, sin offering. Is that okay? You've heard that before. Okay. I'm going to establish something that will make you get this very quickly. Now, what we're looking at here is that Jesus is always still not being whoever Endure suffering, shame, and death. He was sinless, but he endured all of those pains, all of those shame. Are you getting that? But he was sinless. I'm trying to say, I, I know you're worried, but I'm going to make you, I'm going to take you to the scripture that we're going to read it together. I want to say this again. Your sins were not laid on him. Your iniquities were laid on him. Somebody said, now I'm in trouble. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Yes, your iniquities means your punishments were laid on him. But he was sinless. Now get this right. Barnabas stole. Is that Okay. He was crucified in place of Barabbas not because he was a thief, not because he stole, not because he committed a crime. But he took the death of Barabbas. Did you get that? So the iniquities of Barabbas were laid on him. Not sin of Barabbas. Is it making sense now? <laughs> Are you getting it? No, we, we're going to take time to study the word. There's a problem. There's a problem. So we have always believed and preached. The sins were laid on him. No, sins were not laid on Jesus. The Bible says he knew no sin. He was sinless. Right even on the cross. He was sinless. <laughs> Are you still there with me? This is what the Holy Spirit is convincing the world of. That this man, right even on the cross, he was still sinless. You know, we have always prayed, oh, God cannot look at sin. That's why. No, that's, that's absolutely wrong. I don't have time to go teach on that now. But we understand what happened when the darkness overcome the whole place and stuff like that. It had nothing to do with because Jesus was carrying sin. No. <laughs> you know, we preach it. God cannot look on sin. That's why on the cross, Jesus you know, I was shouting, my Lord, my Lord, have that persecuted out of me, and then, well, have that forsaken me, and all of that. No, let's leave that. Let's just continue with this. Are you, are you there with me? But this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's proving the Father, Jesus, that tomorrow is what? Innocent. In other words, an innocent man was killed or crucified because he carried your own crucifixion. Yet, he was not a sinner. It is when you come to it that you really see the magnitude of what he did. Is that okay? I have heard people preach and say, Jesus didn't die for our sin, he died for his own sin. And you see, 
If what we have always believed is the truth, we are also agreeing with these people who are saying the same thing. Because if you say he carried sin, that's why he died. That means he died for his sin. That means you have to die for your sin. You know, people say that's why he said, carry your cross and follow me. In other words, he is sin, you are sinning. He died as a sinner, you are dying as a sinner. We are indirectly agreeing with what he said, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he was without sin. He knew no sin. I want you to see the emphasis of that word in 2 Corinthians. He knew no sin. Till tomorrow he knew no sin. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's look at 1 Peter 3 verse 18. 2 Corinthians, I mean, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also had one survivor for sins. What did he suffer for? For sins. The just for the unjust. Can you get that? The just for the unjust. What I want you to count there is for. So, he became a sin offering. Not a sacrifice offering. A sin offering. The just for the unjust. He was just, but he suffered for the unjust. Not that the unjustness of your life was put on him. No. What he carried was the embarrassment that you were supposed to carry as a thief. He was embarrassed like a thief, yet he was not a thief. To make it simple for us. Come on, are you getting that? Hey, are you following me? Hallelujah. <laughs> I know this could be hard for you, but you catch it. <laughs> so, whew, oh, how do I go now to catch you again? All right, um, I think I will need to read a scripture for here. Let's go down a little bit to Romans 5. Romans 5, and I'm going to read the very scripture that you have always believed in. Which men have also used. Romans 5.16. Romans 5.16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one that con- by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto what? Justification. Many offenses. Many offenses. I want you to catch that. Okay. God of verse 17. For as if by one man's offense, death reigned by one much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus. As we progress, I'll make it to understand. Oh, now help me, Father. Thank you. What was basically the offense of Adam? Can somebody tell me? Disobedience. Disobedience. Am I correct? The offense of Adam was what? Disobedience. What do you think Jesus will have to do to correct that thing? Obedience. Simple. <laughs> Are you getting that? The offense was disobedience. So everybody became criminals. Then to reverse that, he became obedient. Everybody became what? Righteous. What do you think Adam did? He simply disobeyed. What do you think Jesus is doing? He simply obeyed. And because he obeyed and we believe into him, we are righteous. 
The other man disobeyed. You believe into him, you are what? Condemned. That's what he's saying. So the, the real sin of the world is what? Disobedient and it is disbelief. Not a just <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, sometimes when I read, this thing just jump out. I just keep wondering. Hmm? With so much of what I have received, I heard before, but when I read, I see things that are very contrary to the things similarly that we all have kind of believed for years. What was the sin of the world? It's by one man. You see, look at that. For if by one man's offense, what was the offense? Disobedience. Death reign by one. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by what? By one man. And that is Christ. So thus we see here, merely righteousness, but righteousness, even the righteousness which is of God. The innocent was punished as if guilty. That the guilty might be rewarded as if what? Innocent. That is just it. Are you getting what I'm talking about now? The innocent man was punished as if he's a guilty man. And then the guilty man became freed as if he never committed any offense. That's what we're looking at. Hallelujah. Are you still there? So the innocent was punished as if guilty. But the guilty man be rewarded as if innocent. Oh God. Now let me read the scripture where we have always believed that our sins were laid on Jesus. And I have read that before. I also cannot believe it because I was taught that way as well. Isaiah 53, you know it. But let's go there. Verse 1. Isaiah 53. Hallelujah. Who had believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now the arm of the Lord is Christ himself. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. And he had no form of comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Hmm? Verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we heard as it were, a face from him was despised and we esteem him not. Verse 4. Surely he had borne what? Not our sins. What did he bear? Now look at the Bible. He bore our griefs. He didn't bear our sins. For he knew no sin. Are you catching this? It means the grief you carry for sinning, he took it. That instead of feeling sorrowful, you should rejoice. He bore the grief, the pains associated with sinning. He didn't bear your sin, he bore your grief because he knew no sin. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he carried what? Our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him striking, smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 5. Hallelujah. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. Did you follow that? He was bruised for what? Our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripe we were what? We were healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can read the rest for yourself. But I want you to catch that. Is it simple? What he's saying, our sorrows, our pains, our griefs, our sicknesses, he carried them. But the Bible never said he carried our sins. No. He carried what sin we produce. Am I making sense? Good. You sin and you are injured. He took your injury. He didn't take your sin. Hallelujah. I know I'm, I'm a little bit very far off from the normal thing, but I have to follow what the Bible is telling me. Are you there with me? Whew. So, he took our iniquities, our sorrows, our shame. were laid on him. What, what it means is this. You stole and the fine for you So I've stolen is maybe, or the judgment, maybe two years or three years imprisonment. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Now, he comes in and said, okay, let him go. Let me serve the jail terms. But he did not perform the act. Come on. Are you getting what I'm talking about? That's the point. But what we are preaching is, we are saying he performed the act. Because if we say our sins were laid on him, that means he was a sinner. This is what we are teaching. <laughs> Somebody borrowed money he couldn't pay and then he became a slave. Remember the law of redemption? King's married him. And the man comes around and says, well, this is my brother. I made to understand he's owing you some money now he's your slave. I want to pay off the debts. Are you there with me? And I pay off the debt. What happens to the brother? He's set free. That's just what happened. But himself, did he owe anybody any money? He wasn't by slave to anybody, by owing anybody. So when we say our sins were laid on him, we're invariably saying he was owing people and himself is a slave. Jesus has never been a slave. I will never be one. We were rather the slaves. And he came and redeemed us by paying the price of what made us to be what? To be slaves. And so we are free. So since we are not laid on him, but our sorrows were laid on him. By implication, now God is saying, this your brother, remember he's our king's redeemer. This your brother has seen. This your brother is in slavery. This is what it takes for him to be redeemed. And then he came and said, you go and do that and you go pay the price. For your brother to be what? To be freed. But it's not as if he's committing the act. He didn't commit any crime. That's why the just for the unjust. Hallelujah. So, the iniquity has to do with the price that was due everyone of us to be paid for committing sin. 
That's the iniquity. Is that okay? Are we very critical? Like I'm saying, we've gotten so many things wrong, and we have not been able to come to the place of really seeing what God has done and what He has done for us, so that we can live it out. All right. So the iniquity have to do with the heavy load that was supposed to be on our shoulder. As sinners, he came and took the load from us. But it's not as if himself were partaking of the sins of humanity. Is that alright? Hallelujah. So, it is a punishment due to them, or due to mankind, as explained by making his soul, his life, an offering for sin, and healing us by what? By his stripes. Now, like I said, we are dealing with what is called sin offering, not sin. Sin offering is not the same thing as a sinner. Now I'm going to give you an example now. I will close from there. Go to Genesis. I'll give you a typical example. Go to Genesis. This is also very, very controversial. Genesis chapter 4. You remember Cain and Abel? Look at verse 5. Genesis 4 verse 5. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, And his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are thou wroth? And why is thy countenance falling? If thou dwelt well, thou shalt not be, accept, be accepted. And if thou dwellest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Amen? Alright. Now this is another controversial thing that we want to look at now. Because it relates exactly what I'm just talking about. Amen? If thou dwellest well, that which is right in the sight of God shall not be accepted. In other words, what he's trying to tell Cain is this. What is this that you're angry about? If what you've done is right, I will accept it. You have no need to be angry. Is that okay? Amen? In other words, if you serve God in simplicity, will God reject you? The answer is simply, well, it's no. But if that does not do well, can rot an indignation against the righteous brother, save thee from displeasure on that which I have fallen, in other words, here we find that God is trying to ask him questions. They are rhetoric questions. Why are you angry? Why are you angry with your brother? Because I accepted his sacrifice. Is that okay? That's what he's trying to say. If you do well, I will accept it. Okay. Um, let me go a little bit fast for us to understand this. Uh, here, what I want you to pick now is this. When you look at this scripture, God was telling Cain, both of you offer the sacrifices, but yours were not right. There are reasons which I don't want to go into right now. But essentially it has to do with motive. It has to do with, with faith. Is that okay? Because the point actually is, it is what you have that you serve God with. I've always, I've heard people say, because a bosom contains blood, Cano does not contain blood. Is it not what you have that you used to serve God? No, talk to me. One was a headsman, the other was a farmer. It's what you have that you used in serving God. So it is not the issue of what was used. It's the motive, it's the attitude. Is that alright? Okay. So now, when God was saying, if you just go down and start reading, when he's saying, 
Seen light at the door. That is the main thing that's, that's, that's our concern here. Seen light at the door. And unto thee shall be, shall, shall his desire be, and thou shalt rule over him. What he was saying was not seen. You know, what we're made to understand, what I believe sometime, what I was taught sometime was this. God was speaking to say, hey, you are about to kill your brother. And the devil is already coming into your heart so that you go and do this. Is that okay? But I'm asking you, have rule over him. No, that's not what he was saying. Diligent study is revealing the same thing because he found out the same word we find in Second Corinthians 5 is what he used here in Genesis 4. The word is sin offering. When he says sin light at the door, it's not the sin that will make Cain kill Abel. What he say here, there is a sin offering for you to use in place of your failure. Now, let me give it to you this way. Let me finish this, but I give it to you this way. When Abraham was to kill Isaac, what happened? There was a ram. Are you getting that? God said, go take that lamb and do it. I will father to me. Spare Isaac. What he's telling you, what he's telling him here is, listen to me. Your sacrifice is not acceptable, but there is a sacrifice. There is a sin offering available. Go take that one and offer it. And when he comes here and says, Unto this shall be his desire. Not sin desire. But Abel's desire. What he's saying is this. You are still the elder brother. And the bad right of the sinner brother is still in your hand. So don't think something wrong about him. You shall rule over him. Meaning you are still his sinner brother. <laughs> are you getting what I'm talking about? So don't, don't get angry, don't be frustrated. You are still the sinner brother. You have the bad right as a sinner brother. So it's not saying rule over sin. That's what we have always believed. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, go and get the sin offering that I've already made available. Which is prophetic of Christ. Are you getting it now? Good. He being a sin offering for our iniquities. Go take that sin offering and offer him unto me. And you still remain the sinner brother to who? To Abel. That's what he said. So just as God made a sin offering available to Cain, but without recognition, we're doing the same thing today. The sin offering I'll be giving, which is Christ, but we do not acknowledge him. We're struggling to please God. That's the problem. Hallelujah. Is it making sense? Hallelujah. So we find that men are still perishing. The whole world is still perishing. Why? Because we have not acknowledged the sin offering that God made available for himself and on our behalf. We're still struggling religiously to do what? To please God. Same thing that Cain did is what we're doing. But when he says sin lies at the door, it is the same thing you find in Second Corinthians five twenty-one. He knew no sin, but made a sin for us. Can you get that? He made a sin offering for us. 
which is acceptable to God. In other words, your offering is not right. You take this and I will accept your offering. But remember, you still have rule over who? Over your brother. For his desire shall be unto thee. Come on. How many of you understand that even what God told, what is that? Eve in the garden. Your desire shall be unto who? Unto your husband. What does that mean? Your husband will rule over you. The same thing. So when he said, look at that. And unto this shall be his word, desire. What it means is, you will rule over him. Why? Because you are the senior brother. So it's not dealing with sin. You're going to rule over sin. It's not talking about that. But he's saying you have authority over who? Over Abel. Because he's a senior brother. Take my offering and I will accept this. I have provided a sin offering for you. Which is prophetic of Jesus. What he's saying here, listen to me. God has made a sin offering available. Where we accept the sin offering of God, we become the righteousness of God. And then we come to the place where we lose ourselves from the guilt and the sin consciousness that we carry. Because himself knew no sin, therefore we knew no sin. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So, the redemption of Christ is all encompassing. The righteousness we're talking about. Right? is a complete one. Justification, sanctification. Right? Everything you can ever imagine, they are right there in the word righteousness. It includes justification, redemption, holiness, joy. All of those things we can find through who? To Jesus Christ. This last scripture and we are done for tonight. Romans 5. Time is not there for me to break that down, but it was a very good study for me when I was dealing with the issue of Cain and Abel. I saw light the way I've never seen it before. The sin offering was provided, which is like Christ. But Cain was struggling. He would not want to accept that. God is saying, take my sin offering. Offer all this to me. I accept you. You become a righteous man. Is that okay? Romans 5.17 Romans 5.17 For you by one man's offense that reigned by one much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Verse 18 Therefore as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, it's right there in the Bible. Can you get that? Many were made what? Sinners. So, by what? The obedience of one shall many be made what? Hallelujah. So the sin of the world is actually nothing but what? Disobedience. Right? But now we are made obedient by the power of the Christ within us. And so we do not only obey God, but we are now righteous. And this is what the Holy Spirit begins to speak to what? To our hearts. The just as he is, when you know sin, we too might live with the consciousness of him who knew no sin.
The whole world got into condemnation. Judgment came upon the whole world through one man's disobedience. And to reverse that order, one man has to obey. And that's all. So if you didn't do anything to be condemned because somebody disobeyed, you don't have anything you actually need to do if somebody else has to do what? Is to obey. All you need to do is to associate with the one that has obeyed. Because you were condemned because you associated with the one that did what? Disobeyed. Is it making sense? Good. So, we've been made the righteousness of God because Christ obeyed God. Therefore, we are, we are obedient people. And because we are obedient people, we are righteous people. Now you tell me, how did God begin to call Abraham a righteous man? Abraham believed God, meaning he obeyed whatever thing God said. And God called him what? A righteous man. You following that? So now, Christ who is our head is a righteous man because he walks in obedience. Therefore, we are righteous people. Glory to God. So now, so this is what the Holy Spirit is convincing us of. That Christ was made a sin offering. Don't forget that. Our sorrows, our pains, our griefs were laid on Him. Not our sins. Are you see that with me? Good. So whatever thing that will have made it to be in sorrow, He took it from you. He paid a price to God. So that you can have joy. And Lord, the Bible is saying it's going to clothe you with the spirit of praise, the spirit of garment of praise, and the garment of righteousness. How many of you understand that? Praise the living God. Because he's taken it from you. So, in place of sorrow, joy. In place of pain, rejoicing. God is giving you all things in Christ because all those things that will have made you to be turning your head down all the time, he has taken them from you. The price you were supposed to pay, he has paid. You don't have any price to pay anymore. You only need to believe in the price that he has paid. This is what the Holy Spirit is making us to know. And until we come to this realization, it simply means all our falling down in church, all of those things we are doing, we're just wasting time because we do all of those things and still we still go, just like Cain, we still reject the sin offering provided by who? By God. That is why we continue to be sick because we don't even believe this. We continue, all of those things that are happening, we in sorrow, we are in pains. But listen to me one more time. God laid these things on him. He bore them. He carried them. It was a basket full of sorrow, of pain, of insult, of abuses. You know, remember, they spat on him. And that's anything that can happen to anybody, even in the society. People can steal and you know what they do to them in the public. All those shame. It's like somebody stole in your community and they brought him out and people are trying to spit on him. And he came and he stood. You spit on me in place of him. He is not a thief, but he took your spittings. He is not a thief, he took your pains. He is not a thief, he took your shame. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So all of those things that were supposed to be on you, not your sin, but your problems, your shame, your embarrassment. He pulled them in the basket and he carried them by himself. And he said, you are free from sorrow, from pain, from anguish of spirit, from sorrow in your heart. You are free from it because he took it on the cross. You following that? This is what the Holy Spirit has to convince us of. So, one more time. I go to my father and you see me no more. But the Holy Spirit proved the wall of what? 
of righteousness. Because I go to my Father and you see me no more. I'm righteous, therefore you are righteous. I took your sin so that you might be free. I mean, your sorrows, not your sin. I took your sorrow. You committed a crime. You are a criminal. You were supposed to be sentenced to 24 years imprisonment, 30 years imprisonment. But I decided to come and say, I'm going to pay the price, the equivalent of what that means. There's an option of fine. I'm paying the option of fine so that you can be free. Now, if you walk around down the street, don't let anybody remind you that you are a sinner and that you want one thing. You, you can't be thinking about that because the price that you were supposed to pay, somebody already paid the price. You understand that? So what am I saying? You are free. Free your physical body. Free your soul. Free your mind. And I would like us to read that scripture again. Just go back to that and then we'll close with that. Isaiah 55. Because it became so clear. New meaning, new power to me as I was studying. Isaiah 53. 53. Let's go back there again. We'll close with that. Hallelujah. Isaiah 53. Okay, who have believed our report? This is what we are talking about. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Verse 2, very quickly. What's the same? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He had no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. When we shall see him, what is that supposed to mean? Because of all this grief and sorrow and pain that he's carrying, he will be so mad. How many of you have watched the passion of Christ? He will be so mad that something like you don't want to take a look at him. There was no beauty in his kind of life. And because of these people, literally hated him, they spat on him because these things you were supposed to carry this shame you were supposed to carry they were laid on him verse 3 verse 3 he is despised and rejected of men, he came into his own he soon received him not a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hear that his way our faces from him he was despised and we Esteem him not. Okay. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. Hallelujah. Listen. It, it didn't just say surely. You have to first take it from that point. Surely. Absolutely. Can you get this from the Amplified Translation? Verse 4. It is absolute. Surely he has borne it. Surely he has borne our griefs. Sickness. Weaknesses and distresses. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Are you seeing this? And carried our sorrows and pains of what? Punishment. In other words, the punishment you were supposed to carry, he did what? He carried it. Yet we ignorantly consider him striking. Ignorantly. Just like Cain, we refuse to offer this sin offering. Is that okay? Alright. Smitten and afflicted by God as if with what? Leprosy. That's the point. That's the point. Don't forget. He knew no sin. But his appearance was a leprous man. Why? You can imagine the kind of embarrassment. All the one that stole. All the one that. All manner of. You know. He carried everything. His heart was not free. Go on with the Amplified. Next verse. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain 
peace and well-being for our, for us was upon him. Oh, listen. The chastisement needful to obtain. Did you get that? <laughs> Amen. To obtain what? Peace and well-being for us was what? Upon him. And with the stripe that wounded him, we were healed and made whole. Hallelujah. I declare every one of us whole tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ. If he bore your sorrow, no more sorrow for you. If he bore your griefs, no more griefs for you. All the pains you were supposed to pass, you have received them. In the name of Jesus. Therefore, you are free from those things. In Jesus' wonderful.